Pastor Lau and Pastor Dala Haperset would like to welcome you to the following message from New Hope International Church in Seattle, Washington. Here is Pastor Lau's anointed teaching that will change your life with love, hope, and peace in Jesus Christ. And now, Pastor Lau. I'm so thirsty. The reason we spend so much money and time and energy to fly people here to record video because I believe that in the teaching, the anointing is there and it's hard to do the same thing again and again. So sometimes God wanted to speak to people in such a unique way that I cannot speak again next month. So I want to make sure that we record everything that we preach so that the next generation and other people who would not be able to come tonight can listen to the teaching in the YouTube or in the podcast or in the Internet. Because I honor the Word of God so much. I want people to know the Word of God. I have been a Christian for 36, 37 years now, and as a pastor for 35 years. And I have learned one thing repeatedly. I learned that, number one, people are destroyed because of the lack of knowledge. When you don't have the knowledge, you make mistakes, you make the wrong choice, and you get into trouble. You pay the price. But the more knowledge of the Bible you have, the more obedient you are, you make less mistakes. And you don't waste money, you don't waste time, you don't waste energy away. You can do the right thing at the right time, at the right place, and you will always have victory. This is why I'm very serious in teaching the Word of God because I know God's people need the knowledge of God. Amen? And we are the kind of church that really love the Word and we want to teach the Word of God. Tonight, I would like to talk about a very important subject about the local church, about the life in the local church. And I know that some of you may not experience it, but I want to encourage you to listen to this teaching carefully. There are a few things in my life. Right now, I'm both 60 years old, and I have gone through life beyond half now. I expect to live 120 years. So I just live half of my life now. I learned one thing that in these 60-something years, I have made many good choices. And now when I look back all these years, I thank God that I made those choices. The first good choice that I made is that I fall in love with Pastor Da and I marry her. That's the best choice in my life, that I marry a very godly, good wife. The second best decision I make in my life in 1981 is to accept Jesus into my heart. And I turned away from idols and became a believer and followed the Lord Jesus all these 30-something years. And the third best decision I made besides marrying Pasadena, accepting Jesus Christ, is in 1988, when God called me to start the church and commit my life to a local church and began to build the church of Jesus from the scratch, from zero, nothing, 
We met each other in the house, about four or five people in the basement of my house, without any podium, without any sound system, with nothing. We just bare minimum with a few chairs in my house with five people, and from there on, we kept building and building and building the church of God, never stop. And now I look back, since 1988, I look back. I'm so thankful. I made that decision. Now I have been reaping the blessing, the benefits of building the local church, not only on myself, but for my family, for my children, grandchildren, and many lives that came into New Hope International Church have been set free, healed, blessed, and helped by God. Now I look back. I know I make the right choice. One of the best choices in my life is to build the church and get involved in building churches around the world. So tonight I would like to talk about the life in the local church, and I want to let you know that it's very important. I lately gave counseling to many married couple in the church, and while I was giving the counseling, the Holy Spirit was speaking to me many things. I was not trained to be a counselor. I'm a neurosurgeon. I was trained to cut open the skull, take the tumor out. But when the Holy Spirit is on you, He is the best counselor, and He can speak to you. When I was listening to the marriage problem in my church, I have learned so many things from God. Because as a doctor, in order to resolve the problem, you need to go into the root of the problem. If you have a headache, And you have a brain tumor. I cannot keep giving you Tylenol. It's not going to resolve the problem. I need to find the reason or the cause of that headache. In our life, some of us are in a mess: marriage mess, parenting mess, financial mess, a lot of problems. And there must be reason behind these problems. And one thing that God showed me. In this counseling, he showed me number one: most marriage couple that have problem because they don't know the word of God. They don't know the word of God. They use human way to relate to each other. That's why they fight. They like a cat and dog. Before they got married, they have such a wonderful, uh, good time. But after that, it's like almost killing each other. They will talk about divorce all the time. The reason because they both don't know how to live a mature life, how to be a mature man and mature woman of God. They don't know the word. Another reason that God showed me is that because I'm Asian, I grew up in Asian society, and most Asian in the world don't know God. I grew up in a Chinese home. And some of my members grew up in the heathen homes. Dad and mom busy, working, working, working. Never have any concept of the Bible. So the dad and mom never taught their children how to be a good man, how to be a good woman, how to be a successful husband. There's no concept in the Bible, and they're so busy making money. So we grow up lacking training. How to be a good husband? How to be a good wife? How to be good parents? 
And when I give counseling, I learn one thing: is that that's why God built the local church. That's why God wants to have the church, because in the church you can learn the word. Two, you have spiritual parents who have gone through life before you. I've gone through life before all these young couple. I can teach the husband how to be a godly man. Last night, actually, yesterday was our anniversary. We got married, 30. <clears throat> We have been married for 37 years now, and instead of spending time having dinner together, we gave counseling to a couple who almost got divorced, who almost say bye bye, and after we gave counseling, they reconcile and they begin to think about building the home again. But I was speaking to them like a dad. I'm much older than this man. My wife was speaking to the wife like a mom. So now they have a family to train them. Both of them, mom and dad, divorce. Never have a man role model in the house. And the same thing with the woman, the wife. No man role model. No dad and mom role model in the house. Now they're in the local church that they have a mom and a dad, spiritual mom and dad can. Be their role model. The more I give counseling, the more I see people's life is in a mess. The more I'm convinced that we need a good local church in every city, so that our kids can be trained in the godly way. So that I doubt, like all of you who have no training in the house, because your dad and your mom. May not know God and may not even know the Bible. Some people know God, but they don't know the Bible. They just go to church on Sunday for ritual. They have no training in the Word of God, so they don't know how to teach their children the right way. Now you get trained in the church. The church is like a family. How many people in this room was born from a monkey? Raise your hand up. How many people, when you open your eyes? And you see the world. The first day you saw an ape is holding you up. Anyone? Or a dog? Anyone was born from a dog womb? No one. Who gave you birth? Your mom. Somebody point to the mom. Your mom gave you the birth. And after you grow up for a while, what happened? You began to see your mom and your dad. Your dad helped you carry you. Your mom cleaned you up, feed you with milk. Your dad went out to work to feed you, to bring money into the house. So, in other words, all of us were born into a family. This is God's model, God's pattern. In this world, everybody was born into a natural family, and in that natural family, from the baby. To the growing stage, toddler, teenager, and grow up as a man, we are all taken care in a natural family until we are more mature to be able to get married and have our own family. It's a cycle like that, like the movie named The Lion King. The Lion King. Have a baby, and the baby grow up to be a lion king, and go on and go on. 
We all grow up in the family. In the same way, when we were born again, God has the same intention as a natural birth, that we should be born into a family. That's why it's so important for all of us. After we got born again, we must join into a good local church. A local church is a family of God. Christians who don't go to church, who don't commit to the local church, who don't care about the church, will never be strong, will be weak, and will be taken advantage of the devil. It's like you give birth to a baby, and then you put that baby on the street. Let the rain come. If the baby lives in Seattle, he's going to die. Rain all day long and cold, very cold. Today, when I got out from the airplane, and the sister said, Oh, the weather in San Diego is terrible. I was, what? What are you talking about? This is a nice weather, 70. In Seattle right now, it's 30 and raining all day for many weeks already. No stop and very dark and no sunshine. You live in a very nice city. No complaint, please. Okay? No complaint. My dear brothers and sisters, we, we are in the street, we're going to die. In the same way, if we accept Jesus Christ and born again, and we don't make a decision to commit our life in a good local church. We will never grow. We're going to be taken advantage and attacked by the enemy, and we will never be used by God that much. And eventually, we may even lose our salvation because the world is going to eat us up and pull us back into the world system. That's why we need to join into the family of God. The Bible used two terminology, universal church and the local church. People who believe in Jesus, all of these generations, century after century, all over the world, together is called universal church. And Christians who join together in a local city, a local town, like Orange County, or Pasadena, or Seattle, or San Diego, the group of people in that city or in that locality is called a local church. In a practical way, we cannot be a member of the universal church. I cannot relate to people in Africa, but I can relate to people in Seattle and in my own hometown. In the same way, we need to look for a good local church to be a part of. And once we know that God called us to be in that local church, we should join in and be committed and get involved and learn the way of God in that local church. In the same way, as a pastor and as the man who travel all over the world, I always tell people that my mentality is that the local church is a family. I never consider local church as a place that I make money or it's a place of business or the place that I will come in just to get benefit for myself or to get some help from people. I consider a good local church is my family. So tonight we're going to learn three principles about a natural and also a spiritual family. In fact, this principle uh, apply to both the natural and also to the spiritual family or the local church. If your husband or a man who's going to marry you is really devoted to a 
spiritual family. Learn the way of God in the spiritual family. You're gonna have a very good husband. If a woman learn how to love the church and love the family of God, she will apply the same principle in her home. She's gonna be a great wife, a godly wife, because both families are interrelated, connected. People who don't treat the church well would do the same thing to their own family because that is the nature. Of that person, if people cannot be committed to the good local church, they will not commit to their family either. So this is a training ground. I notice in my church, every couple that really commit to Jesus and commit to the local church usually have very good, strong family life. But if any couple, the husband kind of goof around, don't care much, show up in the church maybe three times a year, I notice that husband. Usually abuse the wife as well in the same way. The wife suffers a lot because he has the same attitude toward his own family. This is why this teaching is so important, not just the local church but also to the family, to the natural family as well. The first principle about the church family or the natural family is the word commitment. Everyone say commitment. Without commitment, you cannot build the church. You cannot build the family, because there's going to be up time and down time in life. When I first married Pastor Da, we slept on the floor. I did not even have a bed to sleep in. We did not have much money. We put one blanket on the floor and we slept on the floor for three years. I have no money. I just graduated from medical school, but Pastor Da commit to me. When a wife is committed to the husband, the husband feel very supportive, and feel that I'm ready to go out to fight the battle outside the house right now because I know that when I come home, I have a woman who is committed to me. In the same way, when a husband is committed to the wife. The wife will feel so secure, even the whole world doesn't care about me. I know one man that when I come home, he care about me. He will never forsake me. He will be patient with me, bear with me. He up or down, poor or rich, we gonna be together. Even though we may have conflicts again and again, we are not gonna desert one another. That is commitment. Commitment brings security. Not just the husband and wife, but it brings security to the children. I thank God that because I turned to be a Christian, and I commit my life to the good local church, and I commit my life to my wife. Now all of my children grow up to be young people. Now I don't have baby or kids anymore. I notice that all of my three children, two girls and one boy, they are very responsible, very committed. And very secure young men and young women. They're all very secure in their life. If people hate them, they don't feel threatened at all, because they know that they grow up in a very stable, very committed family. Even though outside dad look down on them, people outside they can come home and they know my mom and my dad love one another. They know that my mom and my dad will always take care of us. 
He, they are not goofy people. They are very committed pastor and committed Christians and committed mom and dad, husband and wife. If you do that, it will be a blessing to the next generation because you are committed people. We need to be committed. What does it mean, commitment? This is the meaning of commitment. I am going. Listen carefully. I am going to pursue. Your best interest, not because I feel like it, but because I make a decision to. Let me repeat one more time. When I am committed to my wife, to my church, to my kids, I say in my heart, I am going to pursue your best interest, not because I feel like it, or not because I have a good feeling right now. But because I make a decision to do it, this morning I just line, you know the word line, L-I-N-E, to the church in Switzerland. I noticed that some of the member left the church because the husband, who are Swiss people, don't want the wife to come to this international church. So definitely, finances of the church drop because some people left. I lied to them. This trip, you don't need to pay for my ticket because you're such a small church. And not only that, I'm going to pay for my own hotel. You don't need to pay for me. Do you know why? Because I think about the best interest, not my own interest. I'm not going there for money. I'm not going there just to have fun. I'm there because I'm committed to them. I want to build them up. I want to be the blessing to them. But the pastor lied me back. Don't worry, pastor. We will take care of you. So we both think the same way. I take care of you, you take care of me. We always think about another person's interest if we are committed. I know the pastor in Switzerland committed to me and pastor that. How many people feel this way? Sometimes I have surgery at 7 a.m., sometimes 7.30 a.m. And even though my work starts in my office at 9.30 a.m., but I have to go to the hospital to make round to see patients. It means that I have to be at the hospital fighting the traffic. It means I have to wake up at 6.30 sometimes, 6 a.m. sometimes, sometimes 5.30. If the surgery at 7, I have to wake up at 5.30 to go to the hospital to make round before I go to perform surgery. 7 a.m. it means the knife cut at 7 a.m. 7 a.m. the knife go down that early. Do you know that every time I wake up at 6 a.m. and 5.30 a.m., I did not feel like it. I wanted to sleep. I did not feel like waking up at 6 a.m. But I did for 30 years. Because I am committed to take care of my wife and my kids. They will have food on the table. They will have good house to live in. There will not be a beggar to beg money from people. They will have more than enough. And if I die one day, my wife will not be hungry. I wake up at 5.30 a.m. because I'm committed, even though I don't feel like it, to pursue the best interest of my wife and the best interest of my kids and my grandkids. 
And the same thing I do to my church. I'm willing to work so hard. I'm willing to die to my flesh. I don't feel like it so many times, especially when I fly to Thailand. I don't feel like it. So hard. In the airplane, 10 hours, and then in another airport, another two hours, and then another six hours to Thailand. It's not fun. And then jet lag. But we were willing to do that because we are committed to help the people in Thailand. Amen? Amen. When you're committed, you don't think about yourself. You're thinking about other people, the benefit of other people. And I want to let you know this. Why this is so important? Because it's one thing to be saved and to go to heaven. But after you're saved, you're not going to heaven right away. You're going to live on earth for a long time. I hope you don't die soon. How many people expect tomorrow I'm going to talk about longevity? How many people want to hear the sermon, longevity, how to live a long life? Tomorrow I'm going to talk about living a long life. Because we don't die soon, we live on earth. We don't want to live on earth like a spiritual baby forever. Spiritual baby cannot contribute to anybody. Spiritual baby always cause problem and have chaos in life because they're babies. They make mistakes. They make wrong decisions. We want to grow up. How many people want to grow up to be mature man and mature woman of God? I want to grow up. I don't want to be a baby. I want to be someone that God can use me. And not only that, you need to understand that God is a person. He's not human, but he's a person. He has feeling. He has his own thought, and he has his decision. Let me ask you this question. Will you let your son, who act like a baby all the time, handle one million dollars? Will you? Will you sign a check, one million dollars, and give to your son, who is 30 years old, but still act like a 12 years old? No way. Because you, you know that that son, 30 years old, with a 12 years old attitude, going to burn up that money in a few days that you make for 10 years. You sweat and sweat to make $1 million for your kids, but he's going to burn it up in one or two days because he's a baby. In the same way, God will not be able to trust you to give you more anointing, more money, more power, more blessing if you still stay like a baby. If you want to have more wisdom, more anointing, more finances, more prosperity, you need to grow up. Because God can trust you to handle those things. That you will not abuse the thing that God gives to you and make him look bad. So maturity is so important in walking in this life. And commitment is a very important character to make you grow up. People who are not committed are babies. But people who are committed are mature. When you are committed, you learn how to do the right thing at the right time for the sake of other people. When you are committed, you are not selfish. You're going to do the right thing for the society and for your own community. You learn to grow up. You learn how to be committed man and woman, take responsibility, and always there. Sometimes we may not feel like it to go to church on Sunday. But you wake up anyway and you go. Why? Commitment. Sometimes you don't feel like it to go to care group, to have a Bible study or prayer meeting. But you say, I'm going to go no matter what. 
because I have commitment. I gonna show up there to show to my God that I'm a committed man and a committed woman. You build your character. Sometimes you have to make choices. Something may come into your life, and you have to make choice between God and not God. And if you committed, you choose God first. Commitment for the sake, for the benefit of other people. Jesus has shown his commitment to us. Jesus, in the form of a man, he was the most mature man in the world. He committed so much. Let me read scripture. First John chapter four, verses nine to eleven. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His Son and only Son into the world, His one and only Son into the world, but we might live through Him. This is love, not that we love God, but He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us. We also ought to love one another. God and the Son Jesus commit to us to the point of death. He laid down His life for us. Did He have to go to the cross? No. Did He have to go to the whipping post? No. Jesus did not do anything wrong, but He was willing to sacrifice so that we can be saved. So that we don't have to go to hell, so that we can be out of curses, he commit to the point of death, and the Bible conclude because we see the example of Jesus, who is he's committed to us to death. Can we commit to each other by laying down our life to one another? If we can do that, we're gonna become like Jesus. Is that right? Commitment is a sign of love. You do everything. You pursue the best interests of other people. You're not selfish anymore. You're not self-centered anymore. It's all about for God and for other people. But thank God, while you are taking care of God's business, He would be taking care of your business as well. And that's my experience in the past 30 years. I take care of God's business. He take care of my business. Today at the airport. While waiting to get to the airplane, a lady called me. Hello. I looked up. Are you Doctor Lau? I say yes. And are you going to San Diego? Yes. I asked her. She came on the same airplane, and she said, "Do you remember me?" I said, "Yes, of course. I remember you. I remember your face. I even remember her name. I don't want to tell you her name, but." Her first name is Marcia. I don't tell you last name. And you know what she say? I have three neck operation by you, and since the last one, I have zero pain in the past 15 years on my neck. She say, I heard you are a pastor. You gonna go down to preach? I say yes. I know God is with my hand. I take care of God's business. He takes care of my business. Most of my patients are doing very well. Some family, I take care of the whole family: the mom, the dad, the son, the grandson, the uncle, the auntie, the nephew. I take care of the whole family because 
my surgical result is excellent. Not because I'm a good guy, but because God takes care of my practice. I take care of God's business. He takes care of my business. Oh, I tell you, in Seattle, I have so many Thai restaurant owners. One Thai restaurant owner, people line up to get a seat. They're so busy and they make good money. We just have another family who moved from Thailand to open Thai restaurant. These people really committed. They come to church every Sunday. They cook for the church. They clean up the church. This family from Thailand, they say that their restaurant keep booming, 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 more and more customers. There's one couple in our church. The husband play guitar. Then come down to do the video recording, take care of the sound, and after dinner, he go in to clean up dishes every Sunday. And he come out, and he then do the video after service with me. He was the last man who left the church every Sunday. He and his wife started a Thai restaurant, and I went there a few days ago. They say the business boomed since the first day they opened. And now a lot of people come to their restaurant. They make so much money within only one month. God take care of their business. It's amazing. It's amazing. When you take care of God's business, He takes care of your business. Amen? Amen. And when you have commitment, you will be committed in good time and difficult times. Easy time and bad times. You can test people not in the good time. I like what Martin Luther King say. Martin Luther King Jr. say this way. I'm going to read it slowly. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. say, The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. How are you going to know what makes you as a man, what makes you as a woman, is not a good time. Because good time, everyone happy. Hallelujah. Drinking, happy. But in the time of conflicts, in the time that half people left the church, everyone desert the church, dumb the pastor, are you going to be the man who say, I'm going to be here with my pastor. I'm not going to take easy road. I'm going to suffer with you. I'm going to be with you in the good time and in the bad time. There's a story in the Bible in 1 Chronicles 11, verses 10 to 19. I would like to read. Uh, I cannot read the whole thing. Uh, let me read 1 Chronicles 11, chapter 11, 10 to 19, but I will read from verse 16 on. David was staying in the stronghold at the time, and a Pharisee detachment had occupied the town of Bethlehem. David remarked longingly to his men, Oh, how I would love some of that good water from the well by the gate of Bethlehem. In other words, he said, I'd like to drink water from that gate of Bethlehem, but that pool is in the area of the enemy. He cannot get in because if he gets in, he may be killed. The enemy was really ruling over that area. So the three mighty men broke through the Philistine lines, 
drew some water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem, and brought it back to David. But David refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out as an offering to the Lord. God forbid, and I should drink this. He exclaimed, "This water is as so as precious as the blood of these men who risked their life to bring it to me." So David did not drink it. These are example of the exploit of the tree. King David has mighty men who willing to die for him, who willing to pull up the sleeve and fight the battle for him. These are committed men. They were willing to risk their life to get into get just water. Everyone say water. What a big deal! You can drink water from anywhere. But when the pastor say, "I want the water from there," they risk their life to take the water to the man, King David. At that time, he was not a king yet; he was just David. And David say, "I could not drink this because you risk your life. I'm going to give it to the Lord." He pour on the ground to give to offer to the Lord. You can see the commitment of these men. The Church of Jesus Christ. Sometimes. I feel sad to hear that some men and women in other religion that willing to bomb themselves, ride the airplane to kill themselves in the double tower of another religion, willing to die for their faith, to get the whole world believe in their religion, but Christians fight, gossip, quarrel, give each other a hard time. Leave the church. No commitment. Good time I stay. Bad time I'm leaving. How are we going to win the world with these kind of Christians? We need commitment. We're willing to die for God. We're willing to die for one another. The Church of Jesus Christ will not go anywhere if the members are just consumers. You come into the church, you sneak in, sit on the chair. What can you do for me? What you can do for me? No commitment means I pursue your best interest, even though I don't feel like it, but I make decision to do it. We need that kind of Christians in the world, amen. amen. And we need that kind of husband in the world. Amen. The husband who say, "I will pursue your best interest, even though I don't feel like it, but I will do it." I make decision to do it. All the men say, "Okay, Hallelujah." Not only that, the church is not just a place of commitment to Jesus and commitment to one another. The church is also a place of nurturing and maturing in the natural family. We make a decision to take care of our kids, nurture them, feed them, educate them, train them, so that they can grow up to be mature man and woman, that they can take care of themselves. In the same way, in the church, the church is like a school. I told these two couples that I gave counseling on Wednesday and Thursday. I gave counseling to two couples, one on Wednesday and one on Thursday. Wednesday and Thursday, I told them that. Can I bake you something, husband? Especially husband. 
Can I beg you, but wife too? Can I ask you to do something from now on? When you get into the car, listen to the teaching in our church, and don't listen like this. Like uh, you try to have a sound background in the car. Like you listen to the music. Sometimes people listen to my sermon like a background, so that they will not fall asleep. <laughs> I say like this: from now on, you listen every two minutes. You stop and pray and think about what I say. And you meditate on it. This is how I listen to the sermon. I don't listen to the sermon like like this. I listen, I stop, and I think, what can I do with this sentence? What the word of God here? I stop all the time to take serious about being educated by God. The church is a place of training, educating people, nurturing people, training people to grow up to become like Christ. Amen. And that is the job of the church, and that's why I don't play around on the pulpit. When I come up, I go to the point. I don't come up to tell you about the story of a football game or politics. I don't talk about politics up here. I'm talking about the Word of God. Waste of my time to talk about politics. It's not business of the church. We are in the business of the kingdom of God. Amen. So we teach people, we train people, we let people rise up to do things. We allow people to serve the Lord. Now, our youth group in Seattle, they all get involved in video. In last Sunday, if you watch the live stream, the whole worship team is youth. Yes. The drummer, the guitar, the singer. And they obey me. I say, now you have to come up and stand in front, in the front of the stage. They obey me. They come and stand in front. And I say, you need to smile. You need to look at the congregation. They smile and look at the congregation. They change. I train them to be worshipers. They just don't come to fill up the space in the church. They come to be trained. We need to train them. We need to show them how to be a good husband, how to be a good man, how to be a good woman. Train people in the church. Train our children, nurturing them. That's why, if you notice carefully, when Paul wrote about him and the church, he always talked about he as a father. Let me read from First Thessalonians chapter two, verses six to twelve. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demand as apostle of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother. Everyone say mother. She reaches her own children, so affectionately longing for you. We were all pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God. But also our own life, because you had become dear to us. For you remembered, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behave ourselves among you who believe, as you know how we exhausted. And comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. A good pastor will be like a father or a mother. Think about the benefit of the members. Train them not only with the word, but train them with life example. Church. Life is a life of nurturing, training, and developing and maturing. 
you see your spiritual father and mother do something, you learn from them. And then one day your spiritual father pass away to be with the Lord. Then you rise up to be father and take care of other people. It's a vicious cycle like this. Go on cycle of life. One generation take care of one this generation, and then that generation grow up, take care of the next generation. A good pastor must have a very good father's heart. A pastor is not a job. It's a spirit of a good father. In fact, many of my friends who are preachers all agree that out of the five-fold ministry, apostle, prophet, evangelist, teachers, and pastor, the most difficult one is the pastor. Not apostle, not prophet, not evangelist. Evangelists come preach, disappear. Apostle come two days, disappear. But pastor stay there. Day and night, listen to the complaint, listen to the problem, solve the problem, deal with the problem in the church every day. Pastor has the most difficult job in the world. That's why my patients say, how come in the world you can do this two job? Neurosurgeon, which, which is one of the most difficult jobs, Yesterday, I sympathized with my friend, my friend neurosurgeon. He said he opened the skull and he showed me the picture of brain tumor. While he's taking the brain tumor out, suddenly the brain swelled and that 34 years old woman died on the table. He wanted to cry. Life and death. To be a neurosurgeon is tough enough. Now I have another job, pastors. Two difficult jobs. Please don't give me a lot of headache. I have enough headache. Galatians chapter 4, 19 to 20. My little children, you see, Paul called his member, my little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. The purpose of the pastor is to train you until you become like Christ. Amen? You grow up. You change. That's why good pastor will preach the message without compromise. So that you can grow up. Don't be baby. Hey, grow up. Stop being baby. Start throwing your tantrum. Complaining and all these things. Grow up. Become committed man and woman of God. God can use you. Let's grow up. That's the job of the pastor, the, the church. I would like to present with you now and to change my tone for I have doubts about you. So he was concerned about the members in Galatia. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 27 to 28. In weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness, beside the other things, what come upon me daily? My deep concern for all the churches. He loved God's people so much. Day and night, he was thinking about the church. 1 Corinthians 4, 15 to 16, for though you might have 10,000 instructors, you can turn on any YouTube and internet. You can turn on any great preacher in the world, in Christ. Yet, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ, Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. So Paul tried to say this way. Even though you may have many instructors, but who suffer with you every Sunday, who prepare the teaching on Saturday night and come and preach to you? 
Who will cry with you when you suffer when your husband yell at you and you come and say my husband yell at me? The preacher in the YouTube will not sit down and cry with you. The great preacher who has a ten twenty thousand member church will not listen to your problem. He will say you cannot even talk to my secretary. You don't even know his cell phone number. You don't even have his email or her email, but you have your pastor email, and you call him. Usually, somebody told me like this: any phone call after midnight is not a good news. <laughs> Two days ago, I got a phone call at 2:30 a.m. Hello, my mom died. Bad news. As a pastor, you get that phone call. You get the bad news, and you have to be with them. You don't desert them right away. On Saturday, we have a memorial service. Boom, boom, boom. We are there with them. We cry with them. We suffer with them. Pastors, that is a church life. You should love your pastor. Don't be crazy about those preachers. I mean, thank God for their preaching. They're good. They are anointed, but they are not your pastor. They're not going to give you phone number. I even go to some big meeting. I'm going to come close to some preacher. They have right about bodyguard in front of me. Five bodyguard. I back off, and I learn one thing: the person who loved me is my pastor. They just preacher. They just teacher. I'm not looking down on them. But you need to understand. Please love your own church, love your own shepherd. They are the one who suffer with you. Amen? Amen. And that job is to train you to grow up, to become a mature man and a woman of God. My dear brothers and sisters, if your pastor or your shepherd corrects you, says something, could you please change? Don't get mad. Don't leave the church right away. Don't. Act weird to them. Now I'm not going to look at your face anymore. You correct me. In fact, correction is a sign of love. God loves you. That's why He corrects you. When somebody corrects you, He loves you. So, to be thankful that somebody dare to correct you. If you keep making mistake and no one corrects you, you go downhill. But your pastor, your shepherd, loves you enough to say, "Hey, stop! You're doing wrong thing. You should be thankful and say thank you so much. You should say, 'I know this person loved me. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah! Are you ready for correction? <laughs> Hallelujah! Not only that." Church is not only the place of commitment to Jesus and to one another. The church is not only the place of nurturing and the place of maturing and being taken care, trained, corrected, and growing in the Lord. Number three, the church is the place of family responsibility. As a member of a family, we need to have responsibility. My wife has responsibility. I have responsibility. My kids, my son, who still stay with us, still have responsibility. Every Sunday night, our garbage truck come on Monday morning. My son will make sure that the garbage can out there. My son will wash dishes, clean up the kitchen for my wife on a regular basis. He take responsibility to wake up, go to work, and come home. He takes his responsibility. Everybody have responsibility. In the same way, 
the church member should take responsibility, either Sunday service or in the care group, or responsibility of taking care of somebody, cooking, cleaning, do anything in the church. Everyone should pull up sleeve and do something to take care of the house. I heard from one of my friends. I don't remember who that is. This is interesting. One company want to interview the worker to come in, and the way they interview. The manager interview is this. I don't remember now who told me the story, but it's a real story. The manager will put a few pieces of paper on the ground while he's sitting in the room, and when he called the person to come into interview, if the person passed by that paper on the floor, he's off. He will not be hired. But he will look only for people who walk in and see the piece of paper and bend over to pick it up and throw in the garbage can. He knows right away this man and this woman is thinking about the benefit of the company and care enough for the detail to make it right. This is a true story. Even I, as a pastor, I walk into the church. I saw a piece of paper on the ground. I pick it up and I throw in the garbage can. I don't leave it there. Everyone need to know this is not a hotel, that you can come and sleep, and somebody else will make bed for you, and clean up the restroom for you. We take care of the church together. This is my home. This is my family. I need to take care of the things of God in the church. I'm not gonna leave it to somebody else. Everyone in the church should say, "Pastor, what can I do to serve here? What responsibility do you want me to take? If you're good at money, you take care of finances. If you're good at singing, you take care of the worship team. If you're good at cooking, do the cooking. Everyone should find their own gifts and ability to take care of the business of the church. Get involved, my dear brothers and sisters. We have only one life to live." And we have a very short life relatively to eternity. And if you don't hurry to do that now, when you go to heaven, you're gonna be shocked because you're gonna live in a very small apartment. <laughs> you're gonna live in a very small condo. Why other people who take responsibility in the church, build a kingdom, will live in a big estate and mansion? Because they accumulate the material to build their home and estate in. Heaven, you need to take care of the house of God here. You need to be responsible. Amen. You take responsibility in doing things in the church. Not only that, you use your gift, your ability to do the ministry, and you take care of the church financially as well. Thank God, He did not ask all of us to give the same amount of money. Otherwise, not fair. If you make Fifty thousand a year, and you still pay ten dollars. Another person make only. Um, okay, let me change the number. If you make fifty thousand a year, and you pay only two hundred dollars a year, and another person make only three thousand a year and pay two hundred dollars, it's not fair. So how does he say? He say, let's give ten percent to take care of the church, so the church will have money to spend in the kingdom. Is that right? Everything that comes into the kingdom has to be paid. Airplane ticket, camera. We bought so many equipments on that table. 
that is ten thousand of dollars, that equipment, to record so that God's people will hear the message later on. Who did not show up in this room, they can hear this message. I went to Arizona a few Sundays ago, a few weeks ago. I just put that in the YouTube yesterday, and only 24 hours, 80 people come and listen the message in Arizona. I'm happy. At least some people in the world heard the teaching and changed their life. It may save their life. It may save their marriage. Who knows? Something even one person get blessed by that message, and I spend ten thousand of dollar for the machine. I'm happy because it's not about money. But we need money to buy the equipment. We need the money to rent the building. Everyone is responsible to help the church financially. Don't leave that responsibility to somebody else. Acts chapter four, thirty-two to thirty-five. All the believers, everyone say all, all. not just one, all. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possession was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostle continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands and houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostle's feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. In the church, we take care of one another. We take care of people who are in need. In New Hope International Church, the faithful members, if they get into financial trouble, we help them. We don't let them go hungry or be on the street. Sometimes we help people to pay for apartment, pay for their electric bill. Because they get into trouble. I'm not talking about lazy people who don't want to work and just come and ask money. I'm talking about people who work, but they get into kind of emergency, financial emergency, and then we need to help them. Lately, we have a mom and a daughter live in my house for many months because the mom got sick. She did not have a house to live. She just got saved. So we opened our home, and now the daughter is still there to stay with us. The mom just passed from cancer. She was a brand new believer. She did not know how to fight with cancer. But the daughter is still there. She is a brand new believer too. We help them until she can settle down, find a job or whatever. We are family. Family help each other. Definitely, we need to help sincere people, not people who come in to take advantage of the church or try to abuse the church. We help people who are sincere, who love God, who really. Work hard and need help. Amen? Amen. We have responsibility to open our homes sometimes, to feed people, to open our home for care groups, use our car to pick up people to go to church. We share. We take responsibility. We take responsibility to save soul, get involved in helping people to come to church, to come to get to know Jesus Christ, help each other. Working as a team, visitation, help visit people, go greet people, go people who get into trouble. We go as a team to go visit somebody. We work together, take responsibility to grow and to expand the kingdom of God together. Amen. Amen. I want to encourage you one more time. Please commit yourself in a good local church. 
make sure that the reason you are in that church because God called you to be. There is no politics in the church. Period. Because it's a place of God. Don't play politics in the church. You go there because God called you to be there. And if you are there because God called you, you commit, you sacrifice, you take responsibility, and you get nurture and you help nurturing other people as well. We work as a team to build the kingdom of God. Amen. Don't be just pew warmer. Don't be just guests all the time. Get involved. Plug yourself into the local church. Be a part of the local church and serve the Lord over there. And I believe God's grace is going to be upon you. Much grace. The Bible said a while ago, great grace was upon all of them because they commit themselves to a good local church, biblical local church. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Number one, commit to God, commit to one another. It means you pursue the best interests of others. Not because you feel like it, but because you make a decision to do it. Number two, church is a place of nurturing, maturing, teaching, training. You get trained by me, you train other people. It's a life cycle like that. You get trained, you train others. You go on and on. People train younger people. Love them as your family. Love them as a mom and dad, the new people who come in. And number three, the church is a place of sharing responsibility. The reason two sisters flew up here on their own expense to come up here because they know that I cannot do both preaching and setting up the camera and the recording machine. They came up to share responsibility with me. Help me carry the bag. Help me to do, make sure that we produce good products to feed people in the world. They share responsibility. Amen? Amen. I went to New Zealand in January. One man went with me, carried stuff for me, helped me everything to help me get the job done. We share responsibility with each other. When I go to Thailand, I have a big team setting up the revival service. People take care of the ushering, worship. Everyone take responsibility. I don't need to do much. I just go and preach, lay hand. That's it. Because everybody get involved in sharing their responsibility. It's beautiful to see that happen in the local church. We need to do that. And train young people who come in later on to do the same thing. This spirit must happen and start from you. And you pass on to the next generation. Amen? Amen. Everyone should get involved in serving the Lord. We are not just a consumer. Praise God. Amen. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for reminding us, teaching us the way of God. You love your church so much. Because the church is your family. You are the loving father. The father who cares for the sheep, for the children. You love us so much that you set up so many churches around the world. So that your people of different backgrounds, languages, and 
different localities can be taken care of. Father, raise up many good churches around the world that has the right shepherd like Paul, the shepherd who serve not because of reputation or want to have a microphone to preach, but the shepherd who labor and toil and work hard to take care of God's people who have the heart of the Father. O Lord, may your Holy Spirit remind your people to practice what they learn in this lesson. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. We trust that this message is ministered to you. If you would like more information about New Hope International Church or other teaching CDs, please contact us at 206-275-1042. You may also visit our website online at www.NewHopeInternationalChurch.com. I'm so thirsty. Oh, Thursday.